0: I hope that puts you all in a nice contemplative mood. I'm, I'm envious. Good morning, my name's Trevor, part of a charitable giving team. I can see some of you have not been in Calgary recently because you have this color on your skin that's different than so many of the rest of us. You look like you've got some sunshine. I'm hoping that that's coming our way soon. It feels like it's been a long winter. But thank you for coming out today. It's the start of spring break. No, not for all of us here, I guess. Hey, that's for kids. When we were kids, remember, this would be the time of the year we'd be all giddy. And we can make it a giddy day today, too. I hope you're going to have a really, really great morning. We have a couple of big events coming up at Friends. So we have Easter coming up in a a couple of weeks, so take a look for that. We do Easter a little bit differently here, as you would expect, so that's going to be fun. And then we have a connection opportunity coming up just after that on the 16th. We have a community lunch, and it's a great opportunity if you're new, returning Seeing familiar faces and just coming out and, and having some food with some people, which is a really cool thing to do when you think about it. Um, we were at a, a meeting this week with 100 people, and it had been a while since I'd been in a meeting with 100 people, which is a strange thing to say because we I used to take it for granted, and that's definitely part of it. We also want to thank you for your continued contribution to this awesome thing that we call Friends Church. We couldn't do it without you. We're part of this. It's us who makes this all go, which is terrific. Just as a friendly reminder, we've been talking about this. If you haven't switched over from PushPay to our new service, Jeff's probably sent you a couple emails. Oh, that's a great opportunity. (laughs) Maybe during coffee break, which Jeff will announce here coming up, that might be a good opportunity to switch over. It's not a a big thing, but it's going to save us administration costs and actually just make us able to put that into programming, which is awesome. Have a great morning. Jeff, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Trevor.
1: Yeah, um, we just recently changed platforms for our pre-authorized giving. We were with a company called Pushpay. We've moved to a new company that has a suite of different products that we're using here at Friends Church. So by moving over, we could economize and save a bunch of money. So we said, no, let's jump on this. But it does require all our existing PAG donors to make this switch. So we send out emails. If you're one and you haven't seen any of those emails, whatever, please reach out to me. We want to make sure that things get figured out before our time at PushPay ends. Glad you're here this morning. I'm Jeff. Um, Hey, I'm here to just, uh, I want to introduce the coffee break, which is kind of a new uh, post-COVID reality that we're bringing back in. But I want to tell you about Easter. Uh, It's only a couple weekends away, April 9th, Sunday what I want to say about it. You know, typically, if you've come from traditional backgrounds, Easter has a lot of theology wrapped around it and in it, and um, especially in, in very specific, more traditional circles. Friends Church Easter looks a little different than that, and, but typically there is a ritual that is involved in it that we have now circled around, and it's, it's part of the Jewish calendar and Jewish tradition. But it's about dealing with our mistakes that we've made. And I don't know about you. It was funny. I, I got caught up, kind of, uh, more recently with the whole Will Smith because it was an anniversary, right—the one-year anniversary. He had the big slap, Chris Rock, and I mean, he goes from about to win an Emmy for his <laughs> to kind of the you know the goat on the other side. It's like. Now everyone wants nothing to do with Will Smith. And I've thought about him. We might not have very many compassionate people in the room toward a Will Smith type character. But haven't we all made a mistake that ended up being a problem? I don't know about you, I have. I have spoken out at times and created. (laughs) I've been that kid many times in former circles, trust me. Um, I've made a mistake at times that left a black mark on me in, in the eyes of others. In my own eyes. And I was left with this kind of question of when will that period end? When will be a moment when I can kind of look up and feel normal again or accepted or loved or forgiven? The Jewish calendar takes this into account because every one of us will face those moments in any given year. And Easter for us here at Friends Church is a moment when we get to maybe hit the reset button. And I want to invite you out. It's going to be great. Uh, April 9th. Come on out. Invite a friend. There's going to be some great music. Uh, Vince and I are going to be tag teaming up here. It'll be a good morning. All right. That's all I wanted to say. Look at uh, coffee. Uh, A lot of coffee drinkers here this morning, so we've been trying to figure out, because we just started, launch coffee a little while ago. Last week, we held a coffee break. That went over big. Now, all of a sudden, we're kind of figuring out volumes. How much coffee do we need? Boom. We ran out. Like, literally, right as the music started, our coffee team is going, hey, we're all out of coffee. We're like, holy. So they're scrambling right now to bring coffee back in, and there should be some back there. But we wanted to take a moment, because we're relearning how to feel like a community again. Trevor highlighted it this morning, learning how to be a group again. We've been kind of situated in our own silos for so long that being a church community sometimes means maybe knowing one other person and their name in a room this big. Or being able to look over and say, hey, how's it going, whatever, pretending that we're friendly, like all that kind of stuff. It's it's all a part of it, right? So anyways, we're going to take a few minutes to just shift gears, lower the revs. If you want to just sit back and relax and breathe, you know, maybe just allow your heart to rest. Some of you come from stressful week, whatever, however you want, if you want to get up and go and say hi to someone, uh, or introduce yourself to someone you can, three minutes, and then we'll fire this thing back up again. All right? Enjoy your morning. Awesome. What a song. It may it be. Keep our hands to learn. Serve. Uh, I won't get it right, but it's good. It's good anyways. Thanks, everyone. Question. What brings you joy in your life? Like, what, what really floats your boat? You got an option to spend a day in a certain way. You got resources to spend. You got time. You got energy. What are you pouring it into that just gives you a sense of fulfillment? What, what is your thing? Over the years, um, I think there have been a few things for me that, I mean, if I kind of look at how I've spent my time and my money, the disposable stuff, Uh, Family and relationships has been a big one. I've, I've spent a lot of horsepower, a lot of energy, a lot of time, resources, investing in my marriage, with my kids, with close friends. They've often been a pretty big priority. I've said no to a lot of things to make that happen. I was with a bunch of guys the other night, guys that I've known since grade six. Eight of us sitting around a table playing poker and laughing and telling stories that we we've had oh i walk out of there i'm like oh man i felt like a million bucks sports has played a big role i've enjoyed that guys are sick of my stories um building things i love working with my hands and creating stuff that kind of charges me up there's some travel like what what are your things What's your things that you're going, oh man, this is a huge, yeah. Brings you some kind of satisfaction and fulfillment. My uh, volunteering has, there's been some volunteer opportunities, causes that I've gotten behind that have done something for me. Even my spirituality, my spiritual journey has provided things for me that's done it. What are your things? I guess the follow up question is how well have those things, whatever is on your list, how well have they worked? And kind of giving you that sense of, my life is good. Like satisfaction levels with what you have stepped out to do and achieve and pursue. Satisfaction levels? Good? High? On a scale of one to ten, would you say nine and a half? Nine? Life couldn't be better? Seven? Do you ever feel unsatisfied? Like, do you ever feel like maybe something is maybe missing? Or do you ever find yourself saying, one day when I achieve X, then. Or one day when the kids are this age and, or one day when I have this amount of money stockpiled, or one day when I can retire, or one day when we can travel like this, or one day when I've lost this amount of weight or whatever your thing is? Do you ever find yourself kind of going, it's coming, it's not there yet, but when I get this, it'll happen. I know I do. If I'm, if I'm honest, I've done that throughout my whole life. There have been times when I've chased after something knowing or believing that when it happens, something gets unlocked in me. Some, it's going to give me something amazing. Probably the most profound memory I have of doing that at a young age, I was in grade seven, sitting in a crowd of people. It was our year-end awards night that was our school held. They would hand out awards to all the super achievers. And I remember grade seven was the first junior high awards thing that I had ever been to. And at one point in the evening, they got up and they announced the junior high athlete of the year, male, and they announced his name. And I looked over, and I didn't even know that was a category. I didn't even know that you could win one like that. But I watched what happened. I played a lot of sports, I looked at it, and I saw the fanfare, everyone clapping, and they talked about all this kid's achievements and sports he played and whatever. And I remember in grade seven, looking at it, going wish that was me I want that it's weird how that happens of all the different things right notice the academic awards didn't really reach out to me like that but I remember thinking I want that so for the next two years I played every sport I entered five events in track and field. I mean I was doing everything I could grade 8 skunk They announced another kid. I was like, "Oh, grade nine. My name got called. And I remember sitting in that audience. I had played out this moment in my mind for two years. I had this this dream of how this was going to look. And they announced my name. And I walked up there. People clapped. They handed me my award. And it was almost like I wanted to soak up the moment. And it was like, okay, you're done. And everyone stopped clapping. And now they're on to the next award. And I'm like, hey, wait, I'm, I'm, I'm done here? <laughs> I remember sitting down. And it was like, show's moved on. And, and now, oh, now. And it would seem like in that moment, everyone's clapping for all these other awards. So much more. Everyone's, I'm just like, I remember getting home that night and putting that frickin' trophy on my desk and going That's it (laughs) That's it I spent the last two years of my life looking forward to this moment It just went I remember the disillusionment, I would have been what, maybe 14, 15, 14, and going, oh my God, that's got to be the most disappointing, anticlimactic event I have had in my life. Why did I think that was going to offer so much more? Have you ever had a moment like that? I've had many moments like that. wait all year for this big trip that we have planned oh it's going to be amazing and then I find myself on the plane back flying back I'm going there it went it's over that just I just barely breathed and that trip was over and now we got bills (laughs) and the tan isn't even going to stay and it's like that was it Oh, man. Achieving things, buying things. I remember getting a driver that I, I saved up all this money. I was sure, man, that driver was going to change my golf game. I got that driver. I got out that day. It was the biggest disappointment. I had one of the worst rounds. I'm like, Fuck the f- I spent so much money on you. You ever had these moments where you're just like, you're looking to this thing that's going to just deliver the knockout punch as far as fulfillment. And then you get to the other side and you're going... Yeah, this is a common feeling. Those, it, those experiences that I've had throughout my life, they're maybe not as dramatic as our junior high one, but they're nonetheless a little bit disorienting. It kind of leaves that sick feeling in my stomach like, that should have probably done more than that. Let me ask you something. How recently have you felt disappointment with something? that you were chasing, and when you got it, or when you got close to it, it's just like, wait a second, it's slipping through my fingers. This isn't delivering the way I thought it would. How recently? I'm betting every one of us has felt this. There's a book uh, that I read a number of years ago. It's called The Idolatry of God, written by a guy named Pete Rollins. Man, that's this this book got into my head big. But in the book, he talks a lot about these moments. And he said, This chase for fulfillment, chase for satisfaction, the thrill ride. It is it is a frustrating human experience. In fact, if you're not careful, it, be, it can become almost oppressive. And he says that happens for a number of reasons. One is some people are chasing something they never, and they they think it's maybe in that promotion or that type of role within a company. Maybe it's this size or location of a home, or it's this kind of car or whatever. And some people are chasing it, and it's like that carrot never comes. Some people, some people never get it. They keep chasing, thinking one day my ship's coming in. They keep buying the lottery tickets, or they're thinking it's a certain amount of affluence, or it's the perfect relationship, or it's the, it, it's the child, and they never get it. And they're thinking my happiness will never come because I haven't been able to get that thing. He says some fall into that category. He said, but there's another category, and that is those that actually get what they're looking for. They get the thing. They get the new dress. They get the new car, the new home, the boat, the trip, the promotion. They're sitting in the top of the ivory tower, and there they sit, and then they have one of those moments too. What's weird is it can feel the same way as a person who's still chasing and losing heart. It's like empty. For whatever reason, my life has circled around. I have had friends that grew up into affluent circles. I have worked themselves into incredible places. And I can tell you, they all testify to getting to this point where just like the person that's struggling, going, I, I can, I'm never going to be happy because I never got that thing. They're going, well, I got the thing. And here's the thing. I'm still wondering what the thing is. I've had... One guy tell me, he says, so what's it going to be now? I've got all the things I can think of. Is it going to be a bigger home? Do I have to buy a bigger boat? Okay, so it's not three companies. Maybe I need to start five companies. Will I feel it then? Oppressive. Because it's elusive. It's like, where, where is it? One third category that Rollins talks about, and this is the people that they can't get it it's sliding through their fingers, whether they've, they've accumulated, whatever, they've they, they got it. They can't find the satisfaction. They can't find that ultimate fulfillment. So then what do they do? They go, fine, I'll give up the pleasure of having this thing here. I will settle to pretend that I have it. And then just the thought that people will look at me and think I've got it, there's a certain amount of satisfaction I'll glean, glean from that. And he says, you can look around and you can find people. Some, for example, some people in relationships. The relationship is dead and it's been dead for a long time. But the illusion that things are alive keeps them there. Because people have a certain amount of measure of respect. Or there's a certain thing that people look to them and they go, wow, look at you guys. Look at what you have. They don't have it, but there's a certain pleasure of people thinking they have it. This is oppression. Oppression. Meanwhile, that thing that we look for slides through our fingers. So oppressive. What's really strange is that these things that we chase, that we want, it's not like they're evil, right? Like wanting money in the bank, that can't be a bad thing. Have money to pay your bills, have money so that you have freedom to do things that you want, come on. It's not a bad thing. Fun, to get out and do things that bring you pleasure, to go on a nice big trip and and have a bunch of fun? Come on. Sex, nice things, even pursuing spirituality. These are all healthy parts of the human experience, right? I'm not demonizing any of them. We chase them for a reason because they do something for us. It's part of the human experience. why then does the pursuit of them sometimes lead to something that is unhealthy? Have you ever thought about that? Like, is there a point when us chasing after any one of those, like a long list of things that you could have in this world, is there a point when chasing after them crosses over from something healthy, something that's doing something for us to something unhealthy? Is there a point when we cross a line when that thing does become, or the need for that thing becomes a bit toxic? Rollins starts asking these questions in this book. He's going, all of these things are Wonderful. Why can, they, why can the search for them or the thing behind them become so oppressive? He suggests that those disappointing, disappointing moments, those disillusioning moments when we're chasing after something, they're often symptomatic of what he calls modern idol worship. Idolatry. Idolatry is one of those words we just do not use much in our day. Idolatry, idols, idol worship. It's like, wow, that seems archaic. And to be honest, that word got batted around a lot and used a lot in ancient times. It was a big thing in a polytheistic society where they would have so many different gods. If you look back in the, throughout the biblical stories and accounts, they talk about idolatry a lot. Their belief was that gods, and there were plenty, they believed, could actually animate objects. So they would build idols. It was very common for people to say, ah, they would form an idol and they would believe a God would inhabit this thing. And in their mind, the things that they needed, and back then they weren't worried about maybe international travel or the Ferrari or things like that. They were thinking, man, I just need healthy crops, okay? Like, I, I, I need my wife to be able to have a kid, okay? We need to keep this thing going. We need food on the table. We need health. So they would build these gods, and they would, they would, they would offer up offerings to this thing, thinking that this god that had animated would be pleased with them and then would somehow miraculously give them the things they needed, it was just a big part of their culture and their lifestyle. It's interesting how Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, the, the, the kind of the principal God, the, the scriptures, Hebrew and, and Christian scriptures rotate around. Yahweh, it was kind of a new introduction. It was a monotheistic kind of concept. There ain't many gods. There's the one true God. And he's going, I don't want you engaging in this thing. This is problematic. Now, I could get into perhaps a number of different theories why he or the stories would say that Yahweh didn't want them engaging in idol worship. But I'm telling you, I'm looking at this and I'm going, I wonder if there wasn't something deeper and wider that they acknowledged was going on when someone starts giving so much time and attention to any one thing, thinking, it's got the answers. In fact, Rollins would say that is what an idol is. An idol really is that that object which we believe is the answer to our problems. That thing we believe that can fill the fundamental gap that we're experiencing, that's festering in the very depths of our human experience. We got that gnawing sense of, man, I want something more than what I got right now. I need something more. My life isn't fulfilled. I, 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 I need whatever that is. The idol comes into play when we begin to think that that thing will solve that ache. Hmm. Let me ask you something. Has there been something in your life that you've kind of thought, man, more of that would fix all of this? Or a lot of this? He says when expectations we place on anything to deliver something we're needing become too high, we cross over into what he would call idol worship we've given something way more importance than it it can handle. And it becomes oppressive. What really tripped me out was when he said, even one's spirituality, even one's belief that there is a God who can solve it all, He said, even that belief can become idolatry. Now, I got to tell you something. When I read that in that book, I went, wait, that's a problem. Because all my life, I've been raised in a tradition that has looked out into the audience and has eyed people down and said, you got that gnawing ache in your heart? You know something's missing? Yeah. I've watched Pastor after pastor say you've got a hole in your heart and nothing will ever fill it. And you'll be sitting there and you'll be unfulfilled. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. That was those earlier versions. But then it kind of moves on from that. they go, no, you need a nice house. No, that's not gonna do it. You need a promotion? No, that ain't gonna do it. You know what's gonna fill that hole in your heart? I'll tell you what it is. It is God and only God. And everyone would clap and go, that's why I'm in this place. Because I'm here to allow God to fill that hole in my heart. Because I've been searching. But being a pastor, been a part of communities, where then I watch those people come back week after week and going, okay, fix this. And then they walk out and they're going, oh, all week, something isn't changing. I'm still feeling it. I must not be doing this thing right. I, I think I gotta pray harder. I don't think I'm doing this church thing right. Ron says, I got bad news for you. I don't even think what we've been selling at church will do it. Well, that was disturbing for me. <laughs> I'm going, oh, no. <laughs> you're telling me the product I'm selling ain't going to do it? I've had this conversation with many people over the years where I've looked them in the eye and said, I think you're looking for something you might not find. And they're going, wait. Wait. You're telling me that what you have isn't even going to do it? That, that God can't fix this thing? Where am I going to find ultimate fulfillment? Where will it come from? This is when Rollins really drops the bomb. And to be honest, he's not talking about something new. This has been... Thought of and it's been spoken of for thousands of years. But he says, here's the deal our lives are not fulfilled. They will never be fulfilled. Even our religious beliefs haven't, nor can they, deliver ultimate fulfillment. He he goes, further he says actually this is the good news of christianity now he's speaking from a tradition that he came out of same with me but i think he'd be saying this of a number of different in fact he references a number of religions that speak to this too he said actually the good news of christianity is that it's saying you can't be fulfilled it doesn't get solved you can't be made whole you can't find ultimate satisfaction there will always be a part of you that will never be happy with where you're at right now. And he would say, when we come to the point where we can acknowledge the myth that there is something out there that's gonna fix this ache, when we can get past that, when we can recognize the longing that we have for this ultimate sense of fulfillment will never go away, that it will never be satisfied, he said, actually, that's when freedom starts to show up. That's when we can begin to embrace and acknowledge the moment we're in right now. Right now. Right here. You might be sitting here and going, no, not this moment. I'm in the middle of a mess right now. Yes, right now. we can acknowledge the mountaintops and the deepest, darkest valleys, the moment that we can find ourselves in right then and there needs nothing else for right now. In this moment when you begin to let go of the myth, let go of the silver bullet thinking that there's something that's going to do it, you can begin to see the inordinate investments that maybe you're making into something that you're counting on that's going to deliver. You can look around and go, Whoa, I was really counting on that thing coming through. You can see it. Until, until you, you wrestle with this myth, you won't see it. You will just keep pouring the effort and the energy and the horsepower in believing that thing is going to deliver. When you get on the far side of that magic bullet thinking, you begin to see all these different things for what they are. They're nice, they're good, they can deliver something, but they are limited. What it also allows you to do is to really appreciate the beautiful, messy, chaotic moments that exist right now in your life. You ever? I, I don't know about you, but when I get too future-focused, which is an egoic kind of state of mind, it's either fixating on what happened in your past or what, what, what you're wanting to happen in the future or what you're scared of happening in the future, it's always out either behind or ahead. The present moment, it hates. Your ego does not like to just sit in the now. But when you can, it's amazing how something begins to happen when all of a sudden, all these things that were just annoyances that weren't good enough, weren't enough, and whether that's external or internal, all of a sudden you begin to see beauty happening right in and around you in little ways. Gratitude begins to pop up, going, man, I'm actually feeling okay right now. I mean, I'm not that bad. Actually, the weather isn't that terrible. You, you, you can begin to see all these little things that were completely hidden before. Wow, actually, I really appreciate that friendship that I got over there. Oh, I like her. Well, this was fun in the middle of everything you were looking right by to get to that thing. When you're able to let go of the thing and you start moving into the present, you're also able to absorb some of the dark a lot easier. Rather than holding your breath and kind of waiting for this thing to resolve so that then you can get to living. Oh, I'm in a bad chapter right now, so I'm going to pretend this isn't even going to happen. I'm just going to hold and wait for this thing to clear up so then I can live. Have you ever felt like you've been putting your life on hold because you don't like where you are right now? And you're going, I'm just going to bide my time. I'm just going to hunker down here, gut this out, and, and, and just wait for this storm to leave so then I can live. That's the silver bullet's intact still. When you let go of that, all of a sudden, even in the dark, life starts coming alive. This is what I've noticed. Kathy and I have been on this journey. She was diagnosed with breast cancer, went through surgery just a little while ago. She's on the mend. She's doing great. But man, I'm telling you, the dark moves in, and I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of looking ahead, going, when will life get normal again? All right, hold my breath. Let's just Wait hunker down. I'm not even expecting to enjoy anything for the next number of months. We're going into suffering mode. You ever done this? Waiting for things to get resolved, and now we got our life back. You know what I'm realizing? That is silver bullet thinking. Because in some of the darkest moments, life starts coming alive, and it starts doing something. And actually, some of the fulfillment we're chasing is born in these moments of darkness. You can't enjoy the light when you can't acknowledge the dark. Life has this yin and yang kind of thing. And the the dark, the tough, the struggle is all a part of the human experience. There's this story and it's 2,000 years old. You've likely heard it, but I'm telling you, I don't know if there's a better story that capsulates what it feels like when you're able to get on the other side of the silver bullet thinking, the wait for the ultimate fulfillment. If you let go of that expectation, just go, no, it's never going to happen. I'm always going to need more. I'm always going to be wanting. I'm always going to be wishing. You get on the other side and something begins to happen in the way that you look at life and the events that unfold. It's a story of a Chinese, it's a Chinese parable from the Taoist tradition. It's a farmer And his son, they have this beloved horse. Have you heard this one? This horse has helped the family earn a living. It's prized possession of theirs. One day the horse runs away. And the neighbors freak out. Your horse ran away. What terrible luck. The farmer says, maybe so, maybe not. A few days later, the horse returns home, leading a few wild horses back to the farm with him. What great luck, the neighbor says. Your horses returned and brought several horses with them. This is amazing. Farmer says, maybe so, maybe not. Later that week, the farmer's son was trying to break one of the horses, and the horse threw him to the ground, breaking his leg. The neighbors cried, Your son has broke his leg. What terrible luck. The farmer replied, Maybe so. Maybe not. A few weeks later, soldiers from the National Army marched through town, recruiting all the boys for the army they couldn't take the farmer's son because of his broken leg. The neighbor shouts, oh, your boy has been spared. What tremendous luck. To which the farmer replies, maybe so, maybe not. We'll see. This sense of attachment or lack thereof that that farmer seemed to have towards some of these things that were going on around him allows him to hold in the middle of the waves of life. Not getting too attached to any one thing. Not allowing him to think that his well-being, his his fulfillment is going to come from that thing. It's like, hmm, I know better. I know better. The horse is gone. I know better. My life goes on. Your son. Hmm? This story beautifully illustrates the freedom from idols. Those things when they become just too important to us. There is the fine line, right? There is the complicated nature of this thing. When is something too important? I don't have a freaking clue. I have a feeling I'll know it by the stress something creates when it goes missing or when it gets threatened. Hmm? You ever feel that? Maybe it's a relationship that goes underwater a bit and you start losing your mind. Maybe it's a job that gets threatened. There's good reasons why we get uptight, where we get stressed out. But I'm telling you, when any one thing in our lives is given too high of a place of importance, it can kind of subject us to all kinds of oppression, a form of slavery. If you look back over your life, over the past number of years, has there been something that found its way into that place of supreme importance that became too important for you? That's an important question for all of us. Is there something right now that's creating all kinds of angst for you? Something you're trying to keep, something you're trying to pursue and get that keeps slipping through. Maybe it's just something that isn't working the way it's supposed to. Is there something that's leaving you in that place of going, what the? Am I counting on this thing a little too much to deliver something? you have a golden opportunity this moment that I want to give you. And it is just to kind of simply evaluate. Because you get on the other side of this and I'm telling you, there is a beautiful place of freedom. It's, it's kind of, it's so counterintuitive because you're basically accepting the fact that nothing's going to quite fulfill you. But you as soon as you get to swallow that horse pill, it's like all these things that we're counting on. Maybe yes, maybe no. And I'm okay. I'll be okay. Ask yourself a few questions. Maybe of that thing you're looking at, why do I need this so much? That speaks to the thing under the thing. I want this so bad, but why? Why? What is it ultimately giving me? Even maybe more relevant than that question, what is it giving me? What am I hoping it's going to give me? When I chased after that trophy, I had no idea that I wasn't just chasing a trophy. I didn't want the trophy. I wanted people to go, That's a boy, Jeff? Yeah. I was looking for the, the approval and the recognition from people. That's what I wanted. And that came and went. Had I known that, I would have kind of thought about that a little more carefully, I think. What is it you're hoping that thing you're chasing right now will give you? And then this question, what if it never gives me that? What if it never delivers that? Would it change the way you relate to it, that pursuit? When you're in stage two spirituality, you trust the formulas. They just say, look it, you want to be happy? Get this, retire early, do this, do that. And we, whatever your circle has told you, you typically we buy in. We buy into the values of those that have shaped us and we hold on. We get to stage three, we start calling BS to some of it. We start going, wait a second, that didn't deliver the way that they said it would. And maybe this won't either. You start questioning all of it. But when you get to stage four, that is when you can come to this point where you can say, maybe none of it will. And I'm okay with that. This morning is an invitation into stage four spirituality that says, I'm okay without the promise of a silver bullet that's ever gonna ease that longing for more. It's always going to be there, and I need to, get to, I need to get comfortable with that feeling. It ain't going away. I know there's some people that are going to want to write me over this one. I mean, don't tell me that. You're depressing me. Take it now or take it later. One of the two. You're going to find out. You can thank me after this. If you want to send me a nice card and just thank, that's great. I'm okay with that. I'm inviting you this morning to reevaluate the relationship you have with things in your life. And maybe spot an idol if something's there. And uh, if you can do it, I'm telling you, it's, it's an invitation to greater peace and harmony. Yeah, dull Lake. And you just have to acknowledge it and say, hey, hey, I see you. Yes, yes, I know. I know you want another trip. Yes, yes, I know. I know you would love that nice car. Yes, I know. That's okay. And I'm okay. I don't know what it is you're chasing, but I'm telling you, you're going to be okay with or without it. And I pray that you would allow your heart to embrace this concept today, this week. And if there's some part of your life that's been given a little too much importance, maybe you'll reevaluate why. you look at it and go, ah, I got to change my relationship with that thing. Dial it back, maybe. All right, that's all I got no idol worship for us. Okay? Let's let go of that, that concept. All right. Thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, once again, just a reminder, Easter's coming up in a couple weekends. Community lunch on the 16th. If you've got PAG, if you're a PAG or thank you, first of all, but it, we need you to transition. We'd love to do it by the end of the month here, March. Gives us four days, but um, as soon as you can get after it, that'd be great. That's all I'm going to tell you. Go out and have a great day. Don't rush out if you want to chat with some people, by all means. But um, I hope that this week you'll have many moments to contemplate the relationship you have with the things in your life. Have a great day.